0: So I'm going to preach on, on Psalm 2, and the Psalms are this incredible bit. If you pick up your Bible, yeah, and you open it up in the middle, chances are you're going to land on Psalms. It's this huge, big section in the center of the Bible. And uh, and because of that, it's probably a, a passage that, if at any stage in your life you've been like going through a hard time and you're like, I'm just going to give this God stuff a chance, and you opened up the Bible, chances are you opened up somewhere in Psalms. And I think God is genius in the way he placed that right there in the, in the middle, this whole big section of these these. These poems, which is what they are, they're ancient Jewish poems, which um, really describe to us how to pray to God. Anyone ever struggled with just knowing how to how to pray? What are the things that we we say? How how do we? how do we express ourselves before God? Is it just with, with, with like, like reverence and distance or is it with intimacy? Can I talk to God like I'm talking to you? Or do I need to use special language or, or whatever? But if you read in the Psalms, you, you, you get these kind of guidelines of how over the centuries people have expressed themselves to God. It's the prayer book of the Bible. And if we want to know how to pray, if we don't know how to talk to God, how to hear from God, then it's worthwhile to spend some time in the Psalms, just in your life, just in general. Like that, that the Psalms are just this, this place where we can draw, like wisdom. It's this place that kind of calls us into intimacy with God. Jesus, when he preached and when he walked around, he was around about a thousand years after the Psalms were, were compiled. And he quoted the Psalms more than any other book in the Old Testament. Like when he's being crucified, like he quotes from Psalm 22, when when he's committing his spirit to the Father from Psalm 31, when he's talking about this kingdom that he's come to establish, he he quotes from the Psalms all over the place. They seem to be like his go-to book. Like I wouldn't be surprised if, you know where it says time and time again in the New Testament, Jesus went off alone to solitary places to pray. I reckon he's going off and he's like he's reading through the Psalms or he's going off and, and, and reciting the Psalms that he's got in memory and just reminding himself of of, of the goodness of the Father, a way to connect with God. Um, and Psalms, they just had this incredible way of connecting us with God. I remember talking to John just during the week about the Psalms, John Riley, And he was telling me, you know John's story. John lived on the streets for years and years and years on Grafton Street. And he said at one stage, somebody came to him and, uh, and they, they read some of the Bible to him. And they read Psalm 23 to him. Yeah, everybody knows Psalm 23. The Lord's my shepherd. There shall not be one. I bet you if I was asked for a show of hands, it spoke to everybody at some stage in their lives. But this guy read Psalm 23 to John. And, uh, and John was like, that's it. Deadly scripture. He's like, that's a, that's a rapid piece of the Bible. And John, remember you telling me this on Tuesday? He's like, that's amazing. And then he said he had a Bible. Someone came along and they gave him a Bible when he was still sleeping rough. And he says he used to just read it just to pass the time. Read it just like when he would nothing else to be doing, sitting there in, in the cold or sitting there in a the doorway and he's, he's reading it. And he'd always be searching to find that piece of scripture again. That Psalm 23. But it's like a needle in a haystack. Yeah, it's, there's like hundreds and hundreds of pages in his Bible and he can't find it. And then he said he went into Tiglain at one stage and somebody came up to him and one of the first words that someone had for him is like i need you to go and read i believe that god's telling me for you to go and read this portion of scripture and with psalm 23 john goes to his room and opens up the bible and he's like that's it it's like, I found it, you know, like the, the best scripture is like, and Psalm 23 has probably been that for, for a load of people. We sing at funerals, we sing at, at, at weddings, at the times when we want to mark something in our life, we recognize that God is moving in us, and, and, and God is our shepherd, and we won't be in want, and God is directing us, and, and, uh, and the Psalms are just full of that kind of stuff, right? They're full of that way of just connecting us into God. Even though they're written thousands of years ago, they're, they're timeless, When you read them, you're just drawn into the story of God. You're drawn into who God is. And we're starting off with Psalms 1 and 2 because the Psalms follow this this pattern if you, during worship this morning, we decided to use the last five Psalms, which are called the Hallelujah Psalms, because they all start with this word, Hallelujah, and Hallelujah is like Hallel to Yah, right, it's two words, Hallel means praise, and Yah is short for Yahweh, the, the name that God revealed himself by to uh, to the Israelites, and so there's these five Psalms that all start with just praise the Lord, and then they go on and on, but all the reasons why we should praise the Lord, for what he's created, for who he is, for for, for, for his majesty, for his goodness, for his plans, all these these reasons why we should praise him. They're like the, the end of the Psalms, they're like the, the, the big symbol crash at the end of the song. Like they're the, the big exclamation of praise that the whole of the Psalms lead up to. And then in the middle of the Psalms, it's split up into these, there's a structure to it. It's split into these like five different sections. Some people say to represent the first five books of the Bible, but each section, like section, like Psalm one, as far as Psalm 41, is like one section. And it ends with this word: Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. We call that like a doxology. It's like this, this finishing thing. And there's four more of those. Like So you go along another section, there's another sec- piece like that. And then another piece like that, representing these five books, the way it's split up. So it has subdivisions. It has an end, a cacophony, like a big sound at the end. But then the beginning of it is what sets the scene for the rest of the, the book. It's been said that Psalm 1 and 2 stand as introductions to the whole of the Psalms. They're like summaries of the whole of the Psalms. And Noel started last week with Psalm 1. I'm a bit jealous because Psalm 1 is like like my favorite, like not only my favorite psalm, but it's my favorite passage in the whole of the Bible. And it speaks about blessed is the man who who, uh, who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand the way of sinners or sits in the way of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of God and on it he meditates day and night. It goes on to say he's like a tree planted by streams of water that he'll yield his fruit in season. His leaves will never wither. Whatever he does will prosper. And it's just this great invitation to saying, see what do you think life is all about. It's not. You need to reframe it. You need to realize that life is about abiding in God. And it's this invitation from God saying, you can abide in me. You can wait in me. And, 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 and if you think about it, it's not only an introduction to the book of Psalms, but it's an introduction to what life is all about. It's a theme that goes right the way through the whole Bible. In fact, Jesus is the answer to that psalm. Jesus is the the, 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 the the culmination of that psalm. Jesus is the, the beginning of a new humanity, Sam 1 expresses, whose delight isn't going to be in doing his own thing, but whose delight is going to be in the law of God. Jesus is the true person who meditated on the law of God day and night, the one who was planted by streams of living water, the one who yielded his fruit in season. And because he was that for us, we can be that through him living in us. So you have Psalm 1, this thing of this promise of a new humanity. Humanity is broken since the fall, but there's going to come a time where humanity isn't going to go its own way, but it's going to follow the, the Lord. It's going to delight in the Lord. And when he does, he'll be planted again, like in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, there's that picture of Eden, of a river flowing through it. He's going to be planted again by those streams of living water and bear fruitful and productive lives that aren't stuck at striving and aren't stuck with wickedness, but instead are, are rooted in the Lord and producing good fruit. Amazing stuff in Psalm 1, this concept of a new humanity. There's also this other theme that runs all the way through the Bible, but that's summarized in Psalm 2 and runs all the way through the Psalms as well there. And this talks, Psalm 2 talks about the king, this idea of a king, this idea of, of who rules the world. Who actually rules it? Is it the politicians? Is it the is it the people in power? Is it the, the kings and the kingdoms? Is it the rich businessmen? Is it the corporations in this age? Who actually rules the world? Who actually has first and last say over everything that happens in the world? Who owns it? Who has the authority over it? And the Bible spoke again and again, you know, God chooses Israel and then they choose a king in Saul and then God places this king in choosing David and he promises at one stage, there was this prophecy that went through that said, look, I'm going to send ultimately a tree king, a king whose whose throne will last forever because the earth needs a king. The earth needs direction. The earth needs to be brought back into order, into what I created it for. You look around, you see the world's in a mess. You see it's broken. It needs a king who's going to change that brokenness, heal that brokenness and lead his people for the world to be what it's meant to be. And that theme is found in Psalm 2. Let me read it out to you. It says this, the reign of the Lord's anointed. Why do the nations rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he'll speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I've sent my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. There's this idea, this concept of a king that God is going to install. I was watching these videos during the week of uh, myself and Malachi are putting together a Bible reading plan for next year that goes through the Psalms and the New Testament. And as part of it, there's this Project called the Bible project where these guys have made like animations to help to explain the books of the Bible what they talk about and all And They take some concepts of the Bible as well and explain them And there was one in particular on king and kingdom that I was watching during the week that just explains Why this psalm is necessary what it's talking about when it reveals a king the big picture of the king in the Bible It's only about four or five minutes long Malachi is going to play it for us. Uh, now we take a look
1: There's this beautiful
2: poem It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed
1: to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone.
2: Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed.
1: everything seems lost.
2: But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls, and far out on the hills we see a messenger, and he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news! And Isaiah says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes, the feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message.
1: What's the message?
2: That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing
1: for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns.
2: Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel.
1: So when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news?
2: But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus's teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign—it surprised everybody. I mean, think a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom.
1: Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him.
2: Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus, begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, He was the king. And
1: so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins.
2: And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him king. And Jesus let them.
1: Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if
2: you're trying to become king. That's right, but for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful
1: are the feet that bring good news.
2: And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love.
1: And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news
2: of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love.
0: It's kind of like summary of the big picture of king and kingdom that we see throughout scripture and right in the middle of the book we have this psalm 2 which is a prophecy about Jesus thousands of years before he actually came where we see in verse 6 where God had said as for me I have set my king on Zion my holy hill and I'll tell of the decree the Lord said to me this is Jesus speaking now you are my son today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage and the end of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's will. Now therefore, O oh kings, with a small K, he's like, be wise, be warned that there's a king who's been made king over all. A king who's been enthroned and you see it after Jesus' resurrection. All of a sudden... Paul who's writing letters to the church like he just wants to let them know do you understand that right now the resurrected Jesus who we saw resurrected physically we saw him ascended up into heaven and the reason he ascended is that right now he sits on a throne in heaven as the king above all kings right now that's his position as a a resurrected human Jesus is king and that one day he's going to come back and that throne is going to be established on the earth on Jerusalem on Zion that Jesus will reign from Jerusalem as the king over the world it's like in Ephesians where he's like asking them like guys would you you, would you remember this reflect on this that, that God raised Jesus from the dead and he seated him on the right hand and he placed all things under his feet Jesus as well when he's talking uh, uh to, to he's, he's been resurrected from the dead and uh, and he's talking to his disciples and he's sending them out you know the great commissioner it starts with what line all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me therefore go make disciples of all nations He's saying there, oh, every bit of authority has been given to me. Effectively, I've been coronated. I've been crowned as king. Now, you go with the same message. You go with those beautiful feet that bear the good news to the world. That's what our, our, our role is. And my question to us this morning, I suppose, is simple. Is this, is Jesus your king? Is he your king? So, see, you can read you can read those scriptures and you can, like, listen to that animation and be like, okay, I get it. Jesus has been, like, made king over the universe. That's a position. God has given him that that authority. Um, but the real question is Is Jesus your king? Do we accept Jesus as our king? Is he our authority? Is he the one we're responsible to? Is he the one we praise and celebrate? Is he the one who we look to for, for justice? The one who gets to set the agenda of our lives? Is he the one who gets the first and the last say in everything? And you may be able to put your hand up this morning and say, say, Yeah, yeah, he is. Or maybe you're like, Well, sometimes he is. In certain areas he is, and then in other areas he's not. But it's really a question that matters. See, on first reading of this scripture, right, I know, because this was my first reading of it, okay, I read it, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of heavy stuff in there, okay, there's a lot about God's wrath, he's talking about smashing stuff up, and knocking people down, and all that sort of stuff, and when I read it, my first thing was, was thank God, I'm not them, yeah, and I think that we're meant to read it, and be like, thank God, I'm not them, but, 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 but am I them, Like you read the first bit and it's like, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The king of the earth set himself and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and his anointed. They're saying, let's burst his bonds apart. And, And in your head, you might be like, well, I've never done that. I'm not a king. I'm not a ruler. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting around with other people. And like, how can we cast off the bonds of Jesus? But I think we, I think we do in some ways. And it's it's worthwhile to look at because why is it worthwhile to look at? Because the language of wrath and the language of uh, of smashed vessels and angers and rods of steel—that's strong language. It's like it's like trying to get us to take this this serious, to actually analyze our hearts, to analyze our minds, to analyze the direction of our lives, and be like, man, is is Jesus actually is Jesus actually my king? Like those first couple of verses when you read them, they could they could accurately describe our country right now, yeah. Like if you read them, why do the nations rage, the people plot in vain, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart. And cast their cords from us. Like you could very quickly open up your phone and Google and find like the committees and the the, the organizations and the political parties and all the stuff that exists right now whose sole aim is to get rid of like like God from society. Yeah? And not like it's even like an underhanded kind of aim. Like you could Google now and find campaigns to take Jesus out of schools, to get rid of religion out of schools, to take like patronage of schools away from churches. Like let's let's separate the God stuff. Those people want to believe in God. Let them do it all in that box on a Sunday morning, but it shouldn't influence the rest of, of of society. Let's separate all that stuff out there. There's people who right now that's what they're that's what they're plotting to do, and they believe it to be a good thing. That's what they're they're taking counsel together, trying to figure out how do we get rid of religion, how do we get rid of the hold that the Catholic Church had on this this country for the last however many years. What do we need to do to rid them of power? How do we get them to stop being patrons of hospitals? How do we, you know, there's committees out there right now, and that's that's what they're. Their aim is: How do we get rid of God from our constitution? The blasphemy referendum, yeah? How do we, uh, how do we get rid of God's input or authority over our sexuality or our reproduction? The church had a say long enough in that. How do we, how do we get rid of it? Let's have a referendum. Let's have a vote, and let's decide together as a people. This is what we want. It's the nations raging against God. It's the people taking counsel against God and saying, "How do we cast off the bonds of God?" Now they do it in the name of how do we cast off the bonds of oppressive. Religion they're doing the name of saying well look what happened when the church had control over over this country look at the state of it look at look at what it did and rightly so and I get the anger yeah and I get the I get the the the, the it seems like a righteous thing to do to get rid of like like yeah, this 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 dogmatic like like controlling religion and to want to like embrace like whatever is is progressive and, and move on from that i get I get that desire and it's framed in that way it's nearly like if you want to get something true in a referendum or something just pick something that's that's the opposite of what the Church believes right now, and then you get to to land the opposite on the church, and everyone's like, No, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be lumped in with all them people who who did all that, that stuff. And so it's framed in that way, but really at the heart of it, guys, really at the heart of it, it's not a rejection of just institutional religion, it's not a rejection of the control the church had at one stage. At the heart of it, we need to realize it's a rejection of God. Yeah? Like it's a rejection of who God is. The institution didn't represent him rightly. But it's a rejection of who God is. And what this psalm is telling us is that this is nothing new. What's happening right now, like, like this verse, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. You could put that on the business card of any group that's meeting together right now to try and make political change. And they'd be proud of it. But what this psalm is saying is that at the end of that, there's, there's, there's wrath because there's one king. And what it's trying to remind us of is, as this theme that's throughout the Bible is that there's this tendency in our hearts to want to build our own kingdoms. From the beginning, from, from, from when mankind was like outside of Eden, the first thing they did to gather together is like, we're going to build a big tower to the heavens. We're going to be, we're going to be like God. The, the original sin is you can be like God. You can decide for yourself what's right and wrong. It's, 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 it's inbuilt into our hearts. Our default outside of Jesus is to want to be our own king. But we need to be the people who realize that there's a king who's been enthroned on high. That God has enthroned, and, and, and that's why God laughs. It's like, it's like the people plot in vain. The people, they're like, how can we cast this thing? And what's, what's God's, before wrath, God's like response is, it's just laughter. And why is it laughter? It's laughter because he's God. And he's, it's, like, uh, it's, like this, this, it's like this piece of paper trying to rebel against God. Is, is like, like, we have more in common with this piece of paper than we do, than we do with God. Like, like, like it's, it's like this thing, like plotting in vain to, 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 to take down God. It's like, like, like who God is. God is limitless. We're limited in every way. And God is limitless in every way. And so that's why God, God, God kind of laughs. He's not intimidated by it. He's, he's like, what are these people doing? And then it turns to anger. And that seems strange to us. And I'll admit it's hard to preach at times, to preach on the wrath of God. But the wrath of God is a, is a necessary expression of the love of God. God is love. And his wrath is a necessary expression of that love. Because every kingdom that moves, if this is the kingdom of God moving in this direction. Every kingdom that moves to the left or moves to the right or even slightly off center is going to, is going to be a, 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 a distortion of what the true kingdom is. It's going to be a distortion of what this world was made for. It's going to, it's going to hurt. It's going to, it's going to break. It's going to, it's going to like, be destructive to the world. Like you show me a human kingdom, right, that hasn't been built on the expense of people or on the abuse of power. Show me, a human, show me a way that people have got authority in this earth that, that hasn't been built at the expense of people. Show me a corporation that isn't using slave labor in China, or using people to, like kids, you know, the batteries in our phones, kids digging up that lithium in mines in Africa with no say. Like, show me, show me something that isn't built on the oppression of someone else. Show me a nation that's been formed without taking over another group of people and slaughtering them. Show me a, show me a, show me a nation that exists without violence in its history. Show me a kingdom that exists that isn't built at the expense of people. Because by by its nature, the kingdoms that we build oppress people. They make the rich richer and the poor poorer. They abuse. They manipulate. They exploit. They destroy. They're self-seeking. They hurt. And because of that, they incur God's wrath. That's why God is jealous for his kingdom. That's why he needed to send us as a king. That's why he was willing to pay the price to be king that we saw in that video. Because we need, we desperately need a king. We need someone to show us what's right. We need someone to follow because our nature is always going to be doing at the expense of other humans. What, how did God build his kingdom at his own expense? He takes the sin of the world on the cross. The cost that's borne to establish this kingdom, he carries himself. And we need to be the people who, who aren't saying, let's cast their bonds apart. Let's cast their cords from us. Like a good translation of that would be to say, let's take off this weight that they're putting on us. This weight that they're binding us. This weight that, 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 that God is trying to tell us, here's what to do and here's not to do. Let's break out of that. Let's, let's throw off that weight. But then at the opposite, Jesus comes along, the rightful king, and he says this. He says, um, Matthew 11:29, 29, take my yoke upon you. Like, take, take my weight upon you. And learn from me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying, I'm the king who's gonna show you the right way to live. But it's not a heavy yoke, it's not a heavy burden, it's light. In fact here's what it's gonna give you is rest for your souls. The submission to the kingdom of God is the most incredible thing we could do. Jesus isn't waiting to pull us into servitude. He's not it, waiting to, to pull us into oppression. He's not waiting to build something at our expense. He's not in it for his glory. He already has all the glory in the world. He's not in it for his praise. He already has all the praise. He's not in it because he's needy, because, he, because, because he, he's completely self-sufficient. He's not in it because he needs us to enthrone him, because he's already enthroned. He's in it because he loves us, because he wants us to have a yoke that's easy and a burden that's light, insinuating that every other yoke yoke that we carry every other kingdom we we align ourselves to leaves us with a yoke that's heavy and a burden that's heavy and that ultimately destroys us that's why God's wrath is against those things He's just like oh, nothing got to do with them my, my wrath is on those things I'm gonna break those things up but instead he's looking to bless us by guiding us to live a life that's holy and perfect and beautiful the last verse blessed are all those who take refuge in him got the wrath of God on one side but then this incredible invitation like blessing is yours if you want to take refuge, it says, "Kiss the Son" in verse uh, verse 12 as well. Kiss the Son. What's that mean? Kiss the Son. It's speaking of like intimacy with Jesus, but it's also speaking of like in olden times when someone would like swear fealty to a king, they would like they'd kiss his they'd kiss his ring. It's like an act of submission of like of kneeling down and saying, "I'm I'm your subject. You're the authority. You're the one who I'm serving." It's this invitation to intimacy and also to awe and to submission and to reverence before God. So the question is, guys, is Jesus your king? Is he? How do I know if he's my king? <laughs> here's, a, here's, some, here's some ways that you may know if he's your king or not. And I'm not going to say these. These are going to sound harsh. In fact, like it sounds like I'm trying to beat us up a bit, you know what I mean? But uh, but I think if we're on the wrong side of things, like this, sounds like this and, and words like this, they're meant to, to beat us up a bit so that we realize, wait, wait a minute. What side am I on? first thing I'm going to say that is if Jesus is your king, then you obey him, yeah? Like, is Jesus your king? Are you obedient to Jesus? And I mean in, in everything. Like, we sang, let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. We sang, like, songs of, like, surrender unto God, of, of Jesus being our king. But is Jesus really your king? Like, when Jesus says to do something, do you do it? Or do you just, like, take it under advice? Is Jesus your king, or is he just, like, a consultant? Is Jesus the person who actually gets to say what you do with your life? Or is he just a person you turn to? And if I kind of like what he has to say and I can see how that will work out, well, then maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll go with that thing. But I'm just going to weigh it up amongst the, the kind of many voices that are out there. Is he, is he actually your king? Like when he says stuff, does it, does it carry that weight in us? Like when he says, when he goes to, in, in his word where he says, like, like flee from sexual immorality, do you do it? Or, or are you saying, well, no, like you can be king over other bits. You can be king in the bits that, like, that make me feel good. You can be king in the ways when I, make, when I sing songs and when they speak about love and all that stuff. Yeah, I'll have all of that. But, uh, but when it actually makes claims on how I live and the stuff that I do, well, then, then I'm going to take some of that kingship back. I'm, I'm going to be king. I'm going to decide really what I do in that area. When he, says, when he says forgive people, when he tells you to forgive those who've hurt you, regardless of what it is that they've done, to forgive them, do you do it? Or do you, are you like, no, I'm still, I'm still king in that area. Like all authority on heaven and earth is yours except except that. I'm, I'm going to hold on to that, to that bit of authority. Do you know in the Bible when he says love one another, in the, in the New Testament, there's 59 different expressions of love on one another. 59 different one another's that it says there. Bear each other's burdens, lift each other up, pray for one another, bless one another, in humility serve one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. Time after time after time, the king commands us to do that, Jesus as king on the throne with all authority says, Love one another. And, and are we like, Well, no, I'll, t- I'll tolerate those people. Like, if I, if I actually put myself in that person's life, man, like, do you know, like, I'm not, like, like, he's, she's a drama queen. Like, 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 I'm just going to be sucked into a load of drama that I just don't, I just don't need in my life. Or that guy's—that guy's a hypocrite, I don't really want that got to do with him. Or, 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 or no, I'm, I'm kind of comfortable enough in my own thing. I have my own patterns, I have my own stuff that I do, I have my own job. My life is, is good, I'm not going to put myself out of the way to actually like, like pray for another person, to actually love another person as I love myself, to seek somebody else above me, to rather be wronged than to, to, to be in argument with somebody. I'm not going to put myself out of the way. Even though you said it 59 times, Jesus, like, maybe. Do you know what I mean? If it, if it suits me, I'll do it. Jesus the consultant, not Jesus the king. When he says don't be angry, when he says that justice belongs to him, no, Jesus, I, I need to repay this evil. I'm holding on to that. I'm gonna make this right. I'm king here, dishing out justice left, right, and center, instead of forgiving, like you've told me to. When he challenges you with what you do with your money, when he says like that, everything that you have has been given to me, like like to to to, to seek the Lord in all things and in, in in how you do it. And then instead we're like, well, look, here's you can have you can have what's left after I've like spent and bought everything that I need. Here's here's how much I actually value you. You You can have the end of it. Is he king or is he not king? When he says don't worry about tomorrow, about what you eat or what you drink or what you wear, do we actually not worry about it because the king has told us not to worry about it? Or do we plan out our meals for the body that we want? Or do we plan out our meals for the comfort that we want? Or do we plan out our clothes for the way we want to present ourselves to the world? Do we spend our time working in jobs we don't like so we can buy stuff that helps us portray an identity to the world that gives us value? Or do we really do, like, believe God when he says, don't worry about those things. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else to be added onto you. Do you seek God's kingdom first or do you seek all that other stuff First, is God king? Is Jesus king? Or are we one of the plotters up here who are casting his bonds off? We may never say, I'm against you, God. We may never say, I'm casting your bonds off. I want nothing got to do with that. But do our actions say that? The the, the way that our heart works say that. When God says, all things work together for, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes, do we get that it's the king of the universe saying that? Like, do we give that that promise, that weight, or in the middle of our struggles, and when things are going in a way that we can't see how it will work out, are we quick to despair? In effect, are we quick to say, well, all authority isn't yours because this isn't working out the way that I thought it would work out? Or do we submit to the king who says that all things are going to work out for your good because I love you. I've called you according to my purposes. I'm working out everything in the middle of your life. When he challenges what's right and wrong to do with our bodies, are we like, yeah, Lord, I get it. Or, or, or are we like, no, no, I'm going to decide what I do with my body. I'm going to decide what I want in it. I'm going to decide what I put on it. I'm going to decide whatever I do with it. That's, that's mine. That's, that's mine to decide with. Do we just have to cross out the scripture that says you're not your own, you were bought with a price? We just have to cross out the scripture that says offer oh, your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. I'll leave that one alone. When he says, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, the resurrected Jesus who's just been enthroned as king, who says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, first commandment, go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you and I'm with you to the very end of the age. Do we be like, yeah, Jesus, you're king. My feet are going to be those beautiful feet who share the good news. I'm going to continue on this message of the kingdom or are we like, nah, I'll just stay here. And I'll just come to church. And instead of going and telling people about you, I'll just come along to church and listen to Rob telling me about you. I'll just do the opposite of what you commanded me to do. It's like cultivate a cozy Christianity that's all about me. Or I'm not sent out into the world. Is Jesus king or is he not? There's no point singing, you're my king. And then living all the ways that, that prove that he isn't in our lives. There's no point saying it. You know where he is in your heart. You know where he's enthroned. You know whether your heart is actually aligned to heaven. You know whether you've actually kissed the son. You know whether you've, you've given him your allegiance and you've bowed before him and you've said, my life is yours. And that may be you. And if it is you, amazing. Like keep going, keep running the race, keep persevering towards the end. But I'd wager that there's a load of us who just heard a message of, Jesus forgives your sin and you get to go to heaven. And we were like, yeah, okay. Who doesn't want that? But I've bad news for you. If you aren't somebody who gladly wants to obey Jesus now, you're not going to like heaven. Because heaven is the place where Jesus is obeyed perfectly. That's what makes heaven heaven. Heaven is the place where Jesus is enthroned and nothing goes on that's not under his lordship. Heaven is the place where people cast off their crowns before him daily and are like, nah, you're, you're king. You get the say over it. Heaven is the place where people know the joy of walking in the perfect plans of God, who surrender to Him, who are obedient to Him. Too many of us are holding on for heaven with this view of it like that, but you're not going to like it unless you like being obedient to God right now. Like it's, 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 not, it's not for you. And the, the thing is that, is that we can have heaven Here and now, when Jesus teaches us how to pray, what's he say? He says, after like our Father, brilliant, we love it, God is our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name, praise and majesty and honor, brilliant stuff about God's holiness. Then he's like, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like The echo of our heart has to be God, your king. And what does that mean? It means that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven right now where you're enthroned, that I want your will for my life today, as much as if you were enthroned right here in this place, and I'm serving you as the physical king of, of, of Ireland, of my family, that, that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that this salvation message, this message of this gospel, isn't just your ticket to heaven when you die, it's an entrance into eternal life now, it's an acceptance of the king of the universe right now, because we need him to be king, and we're the people, we should be the people as Christians, we don't just look for the kingdom of God in the future that we wait for it to come in full when Jesus returns. But we're the people who say today, Man, I just Lord, I just I just embrace, I just embrace your kingdom. And that it's not a, it's not it sounds like a harsh thing, but it's like the most beautiful thing in the world. And it is hard to cast away everything else, right? But but when you do, you realize that you've got something that you could never have earned in your life. Like where where has your life got you in being your own king? What's the fruit of being your own king? Where has it got to? Have you got peace of mind? Have you got peace of heart? Do you know what's happening in eternity? Do you know what this world is about? Do you know what you're aligned with? Have you got, have you got like a, a satisfaction in your soul? All of those things we get when we make Jesus the king of our life. He's rightfully king, even if he didn't give us all of those things. But blessing upon blessing, he offers us into that. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Like He offers us into this kingdom, into this way of being that's not only his rightful place, but is also good for us. And restores us to the way that, that he made us to be. And listing out all those things, God. I'm not trying to, to condemn you. Because I can put my hand up to all of those things. Yeah? In fact, here's how I came up with the list. Like, I searched my own heart. That's that's how I came up with the list of things that we do wrong. It's just a searching of, Rob, what's, the, what's your nature? But even as I did, there was like just this repentance in my heart. And repentance means to change your thinking. A biblical word, change your thinking. I was like... Like a heaviness at times, where I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry. I just felt this weight of, uh, I've just, I've just treated you like a consultant. I've just treated you like, like some advice I could take or leave. But if you're actually King of all heaven and all earth, of all the universe, if you're, if you're actually enthroned right now, then, then my life needs to be a recognition of that. And as I surrendered into that, man, it's the most, it's honestly the most beautiful thing in the world. And there's like. There's like this uh, there's this peace and this relief and this rest that comes when you stop trying to be your own king and you stop trying to figure everything out. realize that all wisdom is yours, Lord. All authority is yours. My only job is obedience. love and obedience. I just get to love you. I get to love you with all my heart. And I get to know your love, and I get to walk in obedience to you. I want to do that. Everything works out. It's like this simple gospel message we make so complicated. The question is, is Jesus your king? And over the past weeks and months, I've just come to a place where I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I mess up. Yeah, each day, if I don't get up in the morning, and I'm like, Jesus, you're my king. I tend to take back on the kingship for myself. I tend to step back into my own struggle and my own striving and my own trying to figure stuff out. But instead, like Noel said last week, he's like, from the first time his arm like falls out of the bed in the morning, he's like, Jesus, I'm yours. Just this pattern where we're like, no, oh God, I'm yours. This invitation, this Psalm 2, which invites us into how to relate to God, kicks off with this. Jesus is the king. If you want to relate to God, we need to stop trying to be kings ourselves and to embrace him, to kiss the Son. And uh, maybe I'll finish just with a song. I'll play that King of My Heart song again and uh, and give you the space for the Holy Spirit to actually to move in your heart. And Spirit, I pray that in the same way as I was writing this, there was something in me that just like, oh Lord, that just realized the the stupidity of uh, of wanting to be my own king when you offer that. And uh, and that repentance that came, that changing of my heart where I was like, no, I want to be aligned. I pray that that would be reproduced in our midst this morning. As we sing about this king of our hearts, that really you would be enthroned there. And we commit ourselves to obedience, knowing that you're you're good, that it's not a harsh burden you want to put on us. Anything that you ask us to do is for our good and and reflects your glory, which is your goodness and your beauty, Lord, and your plans and your purposes. And and uh, and there's nothing better than we could do than to make you king. You already are, but to to recognise you and embrace you as king this morning, Lord in this moment as you maybe have like just like pressed on some areas of our heart that even felt a bit painful and caused us to wince and are like that's me um i pray that there would just be a turning of our hearts towards you lord god and that that, that we would we would just gladly say lord have me and have have all of me not not just a part but but be king over everything like over over everything every struggle every hurt of the past every ambition for the future Just over everything, I trust you. I put my trust in you.